Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you guys so much for joining us here for another episode, wherever in the world you're listening to us from, whatever platform you're listening to us on. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you for sharing this podcast. And as always, especially with this topic, thank you for sending in requests of topics that you want to hear discussed and guests that you want to hear talk about certain topics. And one that is frequently requested, and I'm very happy that it is, is growing programs and the way to either grow a program, to continue to do great things within a program, to find ways to tool and refine what's going on in your program, just to make it you know that much better. And anytime I have the opportunity to talk to a coach and have a guest on to talk about that, I, I, I love it because as much as I do love all the X's and O's stuff that, that I, we get to discuss and talk about, I really, really get energized talking about those coaches or talking, excuse me, with those coaches who just have a real big passion for growing individuals, for growing programs, and really establishing a legacy and a long-lasting culture in their school. So very excited that today's topic is about using pace and energy to grow programs. So if you're looking to grow your program, I know you're going to get something out of this. And if you're looking just to reflect and maybe refine and retool a little bit, I know there's going to be some ideas you're going to get from this too. So really looking forward to get into this and share some ideas and see what our guest has to share with us. I'm very happy to be joined with by the Appleton East girls basketball coach. My guest today is Coach Darren Pitzner, or aka Coach Pitts. Coach, how are you doing? Doing awesome, Mike. Thanks big time for having me. I uh, love listening to your podcast. I'm really excited that I've gotten more familiar with it recently. And you're up over 100 episodes, dude. Way to go. Uh, sometimes I feel like it's episode five. Sometimes I feel like it's episode 500. But thank you. I appreciate uh, you sharing some kind words for me. Coach, let's go ahead and start with your journey, your basketball journey, your coaching journey. Where has the game taken you and what led you to Appleton East? Yeah, you bet. So, uh, And I'll talk hoops. All day, I love it. But whenever I'm listening to a podcast or watching a coach's clinic, I always appreciate when I can get some real takeaways, some meat and potatoes, those notes that I can actually tangibly use to be a better coach or take back to my program. So I'm really, really hoping to provide your listeners with a few of those, a few of those today. But just real quickly, my journey just moved back to Wisconsin after about 14 years away, mostly in Colorado. In high school, was the guy who was captain and a leader, but not that great of a player. I was okay. I could have walked on to my D3 UW Oshkosh and maybe been the last guy on the bench, but a decent track athlete, so ran in college for a couple of years, but pretty much knew right away that the calling was leadership and coaching, so I was interested in that right away. So for me, the best avenue for that was basketball. Coached some track, but just always had a passion for how connected and close you are to the game and coaching basketball. And Loved playing, really loved coaching, and was lucky enough to have a great seven-year run here assisting at Lakewood and then five years at Green Mountain High School for your national audience listeners. If you think about the western suburbs of Denver and you're right up against the foothills and right up against Red Rocks Amphitheater, the, the school is basically right on that same hill pretty much as Red Rocks Amphitheater. So we used to work our kids out at uh, at Red Rocks. It's just, just beautiful. Love it. Had a great group come through and we were able to win our first league championship in 26 years and then won a couple more league championships and uh, made the last three Final Fours because of this just talented group. And, and so much of that is from the feeder coaches. And as far as growing programs, we'll, we'll definitely talk about giving love to your feeder coaches because it all starts with them and that yep. connectivity at that level. But, uh, but more importantly than those championships is grew the, the program at all levels. So this last year... It was, of course, fun to make a Final Four, but I was so proud of our Level 3 team going 19-0 and and our JV team going 15-4. and And it's just more kids that you can work with and influence positively uh, for the better when you can connect with more kids. But uh, anyway, great to get back to Wisconsin and new challenge here at Appleton East. They're D1 runners-up from last year. Coach Joe LaChapelle grew this program and did an amazing job. But, but 10 seniors are gone and four starters and a new hungry group 
coming up that I get to coach, which is awesome. And so it's a challenge to, to regrow that. So excited to, that we picked this topic because there's a lot you can do on and off the court to grow programs and help with recruiting the best athletes that are already in your school. And it's pretty fun because you're in a position now where the stuff that you're going to be talking and sharing about, you're going to be directly implementing it with this new group that you got coming in. Yeah, I'm kind of coaching myself here. <laughs> so, no, that, that, that's awesome. Uh, let's let's talk about your philosophy on on program building. And in, in, in some ways, it, it could be a real complex topic or it could be kind of a real simple topic, depending on, on the way that you uh, interpret that question. So I'm going to go ahead and kind of ask you about what is your philosophy on program building? And to go a little bit deeper into that, what do you believe goes into building a successful program? There's a lot and there's a lot of parts that are important. I'll try not to go too long on this question but I think it's it's so important and I really do hope there's a couple points that the coaches get or maybe they haven't thought about some of it might might seem obvious but I definitely wanted to talk about the way you show up every day bringing a sincere energy to every practice and every team event and being pumped up kids are smart and they can tell if you're authentic so authentically want to know them and care about them and, and coaches always talk about you know that the kids don't care about what you know until they know how much you care but but there's a realness in that and you got to push them and challenge them and guide them and, and really be cheerleaders and cheer them on and, and I think that old days Mike of rigid coaching uh, they're they're kind of gone they're great if you want the basketball only kids but how many basketball only kids are, are in your school yeah we were at not many right we had 1100 kids so you call it 550 girls at green mountain and there's probably five or seven kids who are like basketball is my everything there's probably five or seven of those and you're gonna have those kids even if you're a rigid if you're kind of a hardcore old coach but but you're gonna lose those awesome athletes who could maybe play basketball but if it's a crappy experience they're gonna just they're just gonna walk away so so make it fun you can be demanding and you can challenge the best players at the same time those two ideas are not mutually exclusive so while you're making it fun uh, for those other kids, you're going to grow the program and, and you can still have a great experience for your top athletes. But then, uh, you know, a few other points on that as far as that culture is, I talked about the feeder programs and you got to connect early and often with those feeder teams. That continuity is huge, huge. And I'm not talking about X's and O's that you have to run the same stuff, but have high school kids work your camps, have feeders attend as many games at the high school as possible, build that as one program as much as you can in your state, you know, depending on what your state allows and be as present and, and as connected as possible to those feeder kids and to the feeder coaches, but, but more so to the kids. So the coaches, a lot of times will say, well, we want to run your offense or your defense. And that's fine if it's something that they can handle. But like, if you're on a run and dribble drive, you know, you might not start with that. <laughs> it kind of depends on your philosophy. So that's yeah. less important than your presence, your energy being felt and, and uh, that, you know, the kids and, you're excited about getting them into high school and they can feel that that's huge for, for growing a program. And then uh, one philosophy that I really like, some coaches will think I'm crazy for this, but I think you have to get parents engaged. Some coaches like to keep it totally separate from the parents. And I totally respect that, but some activities that I really like doing, uh, we do a fall chili cook-off in the parking lot before a football game. It's fun. It's a little camaraderie. Everyone is trying to make their best recipe and you judge it. And, um, and I think that parents can have team dinners. It might seem a little crazy because, you know, teams will always have or should always have team dinners because kids love that. And kids, when they graduate, they usually say that that was a positive experience as those team dinners. But why can't the parents have get togethers too? And it kind of helps combat that tendency that some parents have of only cheering for their own kid. It drives you crazy. You're watching a scout game and you see a kid, a parent, like with their arms crossed when the team is scoring and Everyone's on their feet and they're not mad. They're really mad because it wasn't their kid. You know what I mean? But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the parents more on, on the same page and and um, the parents can set that up too. So you don't have to add more to your plate. They, they can just get together before a game or whatever. But that's, I think, important in the culture. And another idea there as far as getting parents engaged is we have a dad-daughter Father's Day clinic. And I got that idea from Rudy Martin. He was the boys coach at Columbine High School at the time of the shooting. So no one really understands family more than Coach Martin. But it's so fun to see the girls guard their dads in a scrimmage on Father's Day. It's literally one of the best things that we've done. Um, <laughs> we have a summer barbecue. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, really, it's one of the things I really look forward to each year's Father's Yeah, I could say uh, that. That sounds cool. Keep going. 
Yeah, thanks. And then uh, embracing multi-sport athletes, it might seem obvious, but like a lot of times if your culture is really rigid, then you might lose that volleyball player. And I'll probably rant more about this because I think volleyball player coaches need to support basketball more. But if you can't participate in any other sport during basketball season and you're really rigid about that, then you'll lose that serious soccer athlete or that really good volleyball player. And a huge part of the final four runs that we've had were a track cross country runner who's now D1. We had a full ride lacrosse player as one of our point guards uh, and a kid who, who will be a full ride volleyball player. And so if we're not a little bit flexible, we lose those kids. Now, of course, if you miss practice, that's going to affect playing time. And I think most coaches will have that type of a, of a, of a rule. But if you're a little bit flexible with some of it, uh, then you may be able to accommodate more kids. You're going to get more athletes in your program. Well, I think the other other thing, just to add on to that, because I completely agree about like the multi-sport athlete part. I know that this is something that we've kind of worked on a little bit in our program is during that fall season, and I can speak for, for right now, especially, you know, we got a lot of girls who are um, in volleyball or who are in cross country and are doing a fall sport, practicing that sport, participating in that sport. And while that's going on, we also have girls who are not doing a fall sport, who are doing a lot of, uh, you know, preseason workouts, who are doing a lot of basketball related things because they're not in another sport. And I think that there's a lot of value in terms of growing your program and growing your culture to make sure that those players who are doing a fall sport don't feel completely disconnected from the group that you have who's, who's kind of focused on basketball. And if you can do things to you know, show support to those players and, and even maybe even have like your girls who aren't doing a fall sport, organize something for them to go show up to like a volleyball game or like a cross country meet or something. And, and I think that that's so valuable to make sure that those multi-sport athletes know that they're like seen as just as important and just as valuable um, on the team, even if they happen to be, you know, occupied with and doing a different sport in the fall. That's an awesome point. And uh, and to that one year, I did an off-season participation log throughout the throughout the summer and the fall, and there was points for attending workouts and weight room sessions and things like that. It was kind of a lot of admin, but for for some reason, I wanted to incentivize that and provide some monthly incentives uh, for that off-season participation. I just want, really wanted to stress it that year, so mm -hmm. I logged it, and uh, we gave an extra twenty points if a player participated in a spring or a fall sport. So it shows we're incentivizing that. Yes, we want you to play in those sports, and then on tryout day. Whether you played in the fall, in a fall sport or you've been doing basketball all fall, it, there's a clean slate on tryout day. So it's your skills on that day that de determine where you're at on the team or on the depth chart. And I think if you're real clear with that, then they realize that I, I can play that other sport or I can be in the gym. Now, unfortunately, in Wisconsin, if, you, if you're not playing a fall sport, I can't even go and coach you. So Wisconsin's <laughs> got to change those restrictions that some of these states have these restrictions. It's crazy. And and a lot of the coaches who are for it think like it it's incentivizes kids to play other sports, but really it's just it really it really hurts the poor kids more more because they can't afford to go get training private training or club training. So we're high school coaches; we should be in the gyms with our kids. So they need to lift those restrictions. And I I will co-sign that. Now, I'm, I as we talked about, I'm very glad that uh, I live in an area where those restrictions don't take place because that would be incredibly difficult and uh quite quite the challenge that i'd have to face but uh yeah i, I would hope that those rules can get changed and, and allow for players to uh work in the gym and work yeah. with their coach because that's kind of where they need to be <laughs> their yeah. coach can, can definitely uh do a lot for them for sure um, and uh go we, ahead. We, this morning we're, we had weight room at six fifteen this morning and our our senior leader point guard here at appleton east she uh, requested from our assistant to get in the gym at five at five in the morning. I'm not making this up. This happened this morning. And he can he can open the gym, but he can't instruct her. That's literally the rules. You can open the gym, but we can't we can't coach even when we're when we're in the gym with our kid, a kid who requested to get in and get some extra shots up. So yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Interesting. That's 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 wild. So when we talk about this topic of pace and energy specifically used to grow your program, let, let's kind of talk about your experience because obviously this is something that you're really passionate about. So how has this concept of, of, of pace and energy, and if you feel like you need to define what those are, by, by all means, go ahead. But how have those things transformed your program? And, and what was kind of like that process like of infusing those things into your teams and into your programs? Sure. Do you want to talk about on the court or off the court first on some of these? Let's go, uh, let's go off the court. We can talk about how one leads to the other. 
Sure, sure. I love it. So a couple ideas that I think infuse a lot of enthusiasm that kids look forward to. And again, when you get feedback from graduates, and I did this recently saying like, what was fun in the program? So many of the things that were fun in the program were, was the off the court stuff. So, so it's a good one to start with. And some ideas, anytime that you can travel with your team, travel, do it. The Littleton coach, he just took his kids to San Diego. They're going to remember that for the rest of their lives. It's awesome. It's super dedicated. And, and that's in season, go to a college game as an outing, uh, turn like long road trips into an overnight. Don't do the long road trip and drive back. Just, you know, raise a few extra bucks. I know it's not that it's, it, the logistics are really, really tough and you get permission slips, but they remember that overnight experience. It's awesome. And out of season, go to those team camps and stay overnight and let the kids stay in the dorm and be like college kids for a, a couple of days. Uh, a couple other ideas that have built camaraderie is having basketball buddies. So have the kids write down their favorite game day treats and then you assign, and this was like no admin work for me at all, but it was really fun for the season. And you assign an upperclassman to a lowerclassman for the season and they're going to bring those treats a couple times to their buddy on game day. You can do it anonymously and reveal who your buddy is like towards the end of the season or you can just reveal it right away. It's kind of fun to do it anonymously because there's like a mystery, mystery <laughs> behind who's yeah. been giving me these gifts. Um, so that's kind of a, a fun one. Uh, definitely being a part of something bigger that gives back to build some awareness for your kids and some thankfulness and like a sense of community. So at Green Mountain, our girls, they enjoyed packing up food bags for Jeffco Eats that were then distributed to food insecure families around Jeffco. So that provided some uh, meaningfulness to what they were doing as a basketball family to be able to impact somebody else. And then more important than that was was our girls chose to play in Little Mac's honor. So she was an absolute legend in Colorado and she passed away about six and a half years ago, Mike. Um, so if you go to mm -hmm. hustleandheart33.com, amazing kid. She had a full ride uh, to to Regis. I pinned some information on my Twitter on the, I think it's pinned on there. You, you can go and check out, but um, to infuse her energy into our program, her, a couple of her mantras are kindness matters and that hustle and heart will set you apart. So we had awards then that we would give for who most lived those themes through the years, who's going to be the, the most kind to the freshman, the most kind to the kid in the lunchroom who doesn't have a friend or doesn't play sports. So being able to impact people that way is something that kids kind of connect to and realize that they're a part of something bigger with their basketball family. So there's, and there's so much you can do to keep little Mac spirit alive in, in your, in your program for anybody who's listening. So again, go to the hustle and heart 33.com and, and consider, you know, ha having a we, like we put her logo on her on her shooting shirts and talked about her that way. So, no. but anyway, some a couple other ideas I think for coaches is might sound obvious, but I mean I, to sincerely work on having a relationship with every kid in the program. So it takes that's hard. It is. It is. Yeah, especially if you've got 35, 38 <laughs> kids in the program, it takes a lot of time. Um, but even at the even that beginner who you know will never make varsity or never play varsity, but can be a really important part of your basketball family. Maybe she's got a great personality and she just infuses a lot of fun into the program. Uh, but if you understand kind of what makes that kid tick, you can help them feel like they belong and grow your program that way. And then a couple things on the court. I like to personally get out there with the team during the last four minutes of warm up for three on three. And it kind of says, this warm-up is game speed and we're ready. I love that for really injecting energy into the last four minutes of your warm-up. Um, looking extremely sharp during the national anthem, it's just one that I'm a huge fan of. I think my dad, when I was young, taught me respect for the flag. And so everyone is in perfect unity, paying respect and ready to go to work together. I just think if you, if you look sharp and you look together, then you're going to play sharp and play together. But uh, And then a couple other like culture builders, I think, is always pointing at your passer when you score. A lot of programs like do that. it, but it's not always super consistent. You know what I mean? Like you'll see it sometimes. So it should be 100%. It should be in every drill that you do. Give that credit to whoever made you, gave you that pass. If it was unassisted, give the credit to whoever stole the ball or for credit your teammates on the bench, whatever. But you should be pointing and giving that credit. whenever When you score yeah. for a second, every eye in the gym goes to you. So give that credit to somebody else. And then and then with that, as coaches, recognize assists and deflections as much or more than you recognize scoring. 
because mm. that's what wins you games is, and you do that super consistently year round. And then the culture really becomes creating for each other with assists and getting your offense off of your defensive energy with those deflections and how important that is to get your hands on the leather. Yeah. And I think if that's something that you find important as a coach, you really have to go out of your way to make sure that you're like emphasizing that and pointing that out and, and you have to bring attention to it. It could be something that you say at the beginning of the year, but if you never like follow up on it or never actually like go out of your way to, to praise it or compliment it, it'll probably not be something that your players maybe understand as something that you value or see importance in. You, you bet, you bet. And then, uh, you know, I think a lot of the coaches with all the work that, uh, you know, the, the Chris Oliver work that he's doing and infusing a lot of energy into your practices you know, I think you got to you got to buy into all of that, making your practices more competitive, the small sided games. You could just get through the block and um, your practices, get through the block fundamental drills quicker, like a minute. Touch on each one like a minute in your warm up. It takes maybe a couple weeks to get to this point where they're compressed and they're consistent. Like, OK, we're going to work uh, passing. We're going to work rebounding. We're going to work on our five on oh stuff for like a minute. So you're touching those those fundamentals and then get into the three on three, the competitive stuff, the advantage stuff, the the running. So the kids are getting more reps actually playing the game in practices and that infuses energy. And then you're going like crazy and you don't have to get on kids because there's already amazing energy in the gym and it's just fun. And you're, you're running a style and we can get into those X's and O's a little bit, but you're running a style then that that soccer kid is going to excel at because it's a faster pace or uh, it's just kind of more effective for everybody. Were these these ideas that 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 you that you mentioned and 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 some really really cool ones there, uh, you know, about the you know staying overnight on those trips and things like that, or some of the different little games and activities and other things that you kind of brought up. Were these things that that you've kind of like learned along the way? Was there a process of like trial and error for this? How did you kind of accumulate these ideas throughout your years of coaching? Yeah, definitely. Some of it is culture with within the state, you know, in Colorado, things that a lot of coaches are doing. Some of it is getting feedback, get feedback from your your graduates on what did they love about the program, mm. writing that stuff down. What, what what do you remember about it? And they're not going to say like, oh, that we ran this out of bounds play. They're going <laughs> to say it was fun when we traveled to Pueblo for a, an in-season tournament. It was fun when we went to, yeah, I get to stay at the University of Colorado or Northern Colorado or out at Western State and stay overnight and stay in the dorms and be a college kid those were fun experiences so so do that stuff we had to create during the during the pandemic there was an appetite in the program the kids the parents they all wanted to play so i was trying to listen and create opportunities for them to play so we went to nebraska and wyoming and created our own tournaments uh, so that the kids could play it was crazy we had a bunch of colorado schools go up to nebraska so that we could we could play basketball and the kids remembered it they stayed in the hotel and and the parents had a ton of fun and, and Think outside the box. Anything that you can do to make it a better experience for your uh, for your kids. But also, I, I talk to coaches, Mike, all the time about these ideas. In fact, I did for this. So I've got a couple ideas. If, if we have another second on this question. Go for it. Okay. So because there's nothing I love doing more than getting together with coaches and talking hoops. So you might think I have no life. But I just <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not much different. So go yeah. ahead. Yeah, you bet. It's super fun. So. Brady Meeks is a guy at Arvada West near Denver. He uh, that they were never a very a stud program, or but they're deep now at all three levels and they're real competitive. So he he said the number one thing he tried to do was to change the culture of losing, or he tried to do was to change the culture of losing and bring a sense of pride back to girls basketball. He says I don't want to act like it was easy, but sometimes it's as simple as being passionate about what you're doing to get the kids to believe that someone has their backs and their and their best interest. We also did a lot of team bonding, dinners, etc., to bring uh, just to bring the joy back to being with each other outside the court to help mm -hmm. with chemistry on the court. So those are some some things he said were real effective. And then Derek Yousey, there's a brand new high school. It's only like three or four years. It's been a high school, so he built a program literally from scratch at, yeah. at Severance. In Colorado, he talks about creating enthusiasm by him personally coaching the feeder teams in fall, spring, and summer, along with coaching the high school teams, and how that's helped create consistency throughout the program and build connections between the different levels. Now, that's obviously, awesome. not everybody can do that, but he also makes commitment. Some, <laughs> yeah, yep, some team building activities throughout the year uh, to all of all of his players together. Those are some things he thought were helpful for growing that program. So, really, it was it's just presence and energy and being there. And so you 
like by, by building this off the court and by doing these different activities, and I completely agree that these are the type of things that your players are going to remember more than a you know sideline out of bounds play or something like that. I, I completely agree. But so as you're building that this idea of you know kind of like bringing this energy and bring bringing this sort of culture building aspects to it, what does this allow you to do that you can then draw from? when the players are on the court how do you kind of utilize all of this that you've built and all of this that you've done off the court to be able to implement or run or do the things you would like to do on it when you have depth you can run and you don't have to have depth people think like well i only got you know i only have three kids who can score but if you have eight kids who can run you can play an 80 possession game and make it fun and go deeper on your bench and if you're going deeper on the bench you're getting more kids involved and more kids are going to have a positive experience with the game and you can impact for all the amazing benefits of what the game does for kids at the next level on the accountability and the discipline and the and the teamwork that they learn and the sacrifice and the and the the goal the goal setting and the time management for all those benefits you can, the more kids you can impact the better so if you have if you can get that soccer kid and get that volleyball kid and they can run, then you can play with pace and you can play with pressure. So a defense that we've done that's been really effective. And you, again, you, you, you don't have to have a bunch of kids who can score, but if you can fly all over the floor, you can run this. And there's just a few separate, you know, it's, it's kind of a run and jump type of a defense. A lot of coaches run something like that, but I've over the years and some Ryan McCarthy stuff at Alaska Anchorage, you know, stole some stuff from him with how good he is with his pressure defenses and the amoeba defense, but he stays a little bit more zone. Ours, you kind of match up, you line up in a two, one, two alignment. You can vary that up, but, but you match up out of it. And a couple simple rules on that so that you can press and not give up easy layups is to play ahead of the basketball. So we don't defend behind the ball um, to, Pressure the ball on the catch so that the other team has to put it on the floor. Don't let them have that eight-foot like uh, space so that they can just pick you apart with the pass. Make them put up the ball on the floor, and then from there, you're creating some chaos with your rotations. Um, off the ball, stay ahead of the ball and in the gap. Use the volleyball court. So really train the kids to use that volleyball court as for their defensive spacing. So if the ball is outside the volleyball court, all players should be on the split line or on the ball side, nobody should be on the weak side. So you can compress the amount of space that you need to defend. If the ball is inside the volleyball court, all your players should be inside the volleyball court, leave that gap on the sideline. So again, that you're kind of compressing the, uh, the area you need to defend and, and the space that the offense has. And then you have to be just religious about this one. If the ball moves, you have to move. If you do that and you're following rule number one, which is staying ahead of the ball, then you're generally going to be in the right spots. So if the ball is dribbling at you, we try to run and jump, switch inside. If the ball's inside the volleyball court, we kind of make it look like I'm staying with my man, but it's coming at me. So I'm going to run and jump, call ball. And then the player who was on ball is going to fire off. We won't trap in the middle. We'll trap on the sidelines. If the ball is dribbling away from you, again, the other rules, if the ball is moving, you have to move. So you have to sprint to get ahead of the basketball. If it's if it's drib being dribbled outside the volleyball court along the you know along the sideline outside the volleyball court, then you need to be and you're on that weak side. You need to be sprinting ahead of the ball into the split line, and then you're going to be in position when other players are trapping that you're going to be the interceptor. And uh, and then for this players kind of stretch up like your your forwards have to be a push pull relationship. We don't have to get into all that stuff, but but that type of energy defensively, if you've got that soccer kid who can who can't shoot a twelve footer but she can run like crazy and then run something like that and get your pace that way. And I think that something like what you just kind of described about whether it's a run and jump or a certain type of press that you do, it really, the way that, I think it really comes down to the way that you you teach it and the way that you coach it. And, and that kind of like you mentioned in that you're not, all of the a lot of the things that you just mentioned, if not all of the things that you just mentioned are not necessarily things that require a lot of, uh, basketball skill in the sense of like needing to hold a basketball and be, being asked to do something it's it's a you know like it's defense and it's it's movement and it's placement and it's things that are not don't require somebody to have uh, an encyclopedia knowledge of, of all things basketball related it sounds like the way that you kind of break it down and explain it is, is it's 
just needing players who are going to be high energy, who are going to be at the right spot and, and, and moving and communicating. And then even if, like you said, they're not going to score a lot or do a lot with the basketball in their hand, there's so many other ways that they can contribute and, and be valuable to the team just through like their effort and, and the hustle that they give. Definitely, definitely. And if you're going crazy with it, you should expect kids to be pretty cashed after two minutes and you can go go to the bench or, or get that real athletic kid who's maybe not an experienced basketball player, get them in for two minutes so that your starters can have just a little bit more of a break than you would do otherwise. Now you're going deeper on the bench. You can cause some chaos while you're in there and then, you know, you come back out and you feel like you've actually done something. If you slow the game down and then no one feels like they get a lot of minutes because there's not a lot of possessions. And you, if you get, did get in, you get two minutes, you get two possessions and you never touch the ball and that's kind of lame, you know, and so run in O-Trans, go nuts. You got to educate kids what's a good and what's a bad shot in transition. So they need to understand to like get off the gas pedal a little bit to get your spacing offensively. But otherwise, be on the gas pedal, be wild in, in O-Trans and rep that constantly and get your kids throwing deep outlet passes and, and sprinting the floor. If there's ever one sideways or backwards outlet pass, you don't have a fast break on that possession. It's done. So you, you just get them to rep constantly in, in those one-minute daily vitamins or those daily uh, fundamentals to catch, rebound, and eyes up the floor right away. Eyes up the floor is huge. And then I think, I think a huge thing, Mike, especially like in Wisconsin, everybody, you know, God bless Dick Bennett. We have one of the best coaches in the history of the game who created the, the uh, pack line defense. But if you're in a state that doesn't have a shot clock and you want to increase pace, get out of the pack line defense and go with something that's going to pin at sideline or cause more, more havoc, get teams out of their comfort zones. I like to pin sideline so you can't have your ball, your reversals and run your continuity and slow the game down. You know, I want you forcing something kind of down towards the corner and, and a tough shot early so that we can run and get more possessions that way. So. But if you have a, a shot clock, like you're going to have in Arizona now, so congratulations on hey, that. Hey, here we go. Do that. Yeah, it's 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 funny when you talk about this idea of of, of pace, and and I'm, it's it's caused me to do a little bit of of reflection and thinking back to, to to some games, especially when I was you know coaching teams that were really struggling. Um, it's funny I can think of games where we lost let's just say thrown out a score like 40 to 25 and those games were just absolute slogs to get through they weren't played with pace everybody was more or less just in a foul mood after that and then there's games that I know that we've lost probably like 70 to 40 but we were playing at like a pace where I just felt like everybody kind of enjoyed themselves more. And even if the result like wasn't, wasn't great, we could have maybe grinded it into one of those 40 to 25 games, but then everyone would have just been, ugh, it would have been a slog. But yet if we play like a high energy game, even if you're at a lower skilled team or a team that maybe isn't going to be, you know, super successful or highly competitive, just playing quickly, I think is something that's just far more enjoyable for everybody, like players and coaches alike. Huge, huge. And, and of course, like if you think that you slowing the game down, like sometimes you just you, the other team has a lot more talent and you mm -hmm. need to slow the game down to have a chance to win. And yeah, sometimes that happens. But if your overall program is playing with pace, then your level three team or your freshman team and that JV team, they're going to have a ton more fun because overall that's the feel of your program. And yeah, varsity, of course, sometimes like I got a coach in the Fox Valley Association now with crazy good coaches and deep programs here in Wisconsin. And so, of course, we'll have to get fancy and get more creative than you know but but overall if you have that pace yeah it's going to be a lot more fun like you said it's just and i think that kind of builds like it it, it almost seems counterintuitive or it sends like the wrong message right if you and, and you can speak to this if you do like a lot of high energy and a lot of like high pace things this that or whatever and then your style of basketball is a snail's pace grind. I feel like there's kind of a, a communication breakdown or, or there's something's wrong with the messaging at that point, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. So when you, something that you mentioned, and I actually, I want to bring that up. It sounds like with the, the, the pace and, and the energy that you talked about with your program, it sounds like to me, like you have a lot of players, like you got, you got a deep team, right? There's a lot of players contributing. You're, you're able to have a lot of players on, on your roster overall. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, there's been some good classes that came through. And the last couple of years, we've been 
close to that 40 mark last year we kept a level four team we kind of had a, like a half a level four team it was awesome and there was nobody for them to play because no one else <laughs> had a level four team so they would just practice a couple times a week and do some scrimmages it was awesome having them as part of a, the program some of the most hilarious kids and just awesome kids were on our level four team and yeah so that was that was really fun but the program like six years ago so the year before I got hired there was a coach that didn't work out and basically everybody was going to quit and so in June they had nobody so God bless Rudy Martin I mentioned him earlier he came back for a stopgap year because uh, he had been there and then he retired and then someone else came and it didn't work out and everyone was gonna there's really like nobody left in the program wow and he came back for this year extra year and kind of like smooth things over and a lot of the girls came back out again because he made it a good experience. And then I was able to take over. And I realized later on, maybe four years later, that uh, youth camp that I did that summer, there was a couple of kids who were on the fence on which school they were going to attend. But I didn't know any of the kids I didn't, in the whole program. I just found out later on that, like, these key kids, like one of them has a full ride right now for Division Two basketball. She was maybe going to choose another school had oh, no. that been a experience. <laughs> Yeah, so by running – at that time, she was, like, going in seventh or eighth grade. So it was a good youth camp that we ran, and so she was pumped to come, come to Green Mountain. And, I mean, that would have been a huge score. So that's just being present, running an enthusiastic team camp, having the varsity kids there like we talked about earlier, and being connected with them. Um, and then, I mean, there's been other coaches who've tried to, like, recruit away our kids, and uh, never you never need to get into those battles at all. Just run a great program. and have enthusiasm 12 months a year have the kids look have something to look forward to 12 months a year as much be as active and involved with them as you can and then you're going to win more of those battles than you lose as far as if somebody's trying to poach away your kids you know which Pro is program kind of speaks for itself at that point doesn't it yep yep and so yeah it's like i don't have to don't have to say anything I don't have to make any any of my case to you like you know what our program is you know how great of a program we're running so why would you want to go anywhere right why would you want to leave to go anywhere else sort of thing heck yeah You've you've touched on this a few times, and I wanted to give you uh, a specific like platform if you wanted to talk about it or go into any further about uh, something I, I can tell that, that you're really passionate about is is the growth and the work that you do uh, with, with with the youth programs and getting to know the feeder schools and and everything. And I don't know if I have a necessarily very specific question with this, but um, it sounds like this is something you would definitely highly recommend coaches to do if they're looking to grow their program is really invest a lot of time and a lot of their energy where they can in, in getting to know the, those feeder teams, getting to know those youth teams and really building from that level. Yeah, huge. And, and for, I guess, a couple of reasons, if you're like rural America, maybe the kid's going to go to your school no matter what, but a lot of people are in the suburbs where they can choose you know, a lot of states is kind of more open. I feel like that's that, that's the trend in a lot of different states where you can you can choose it. So you always need to be selling your program. But uh, the other reason too is that so that the kid still loves the game. Mm -hmm. So maybe you're not worried that they're going to go to a different school, but they if it's a crappy experience or their youth coaches are they're kind of sick of playing for their dad and their dad's the only one around because he or, or your mom's been coaching since third grade and then fourth and then fifth and it's the same coach and it gets dry and and on that note, you have to love those coaches and give them so much appreciation. And at the same time, give the kids a different perspective. They usually love it when you come in. And almost any mom or dad who's coaching will be like, heck, yeah, the varsity coach can come take over my program anytime. You walk in the gym and they'll be like, hey, take them. They're yours. Run them through some of your stuff, whatever. Do that stuff a few times a year. Make sure that you know all those kids. Wear name tags at those events so that you can learn it, learn those kids. Because otherwise, you just you just won't have that connection and then they are susceptible to, oh, now they joined a, a club team and their club coach just poached them over to another high school because they didn't have the loyalty or they just ran out of love for the game because you were never there kind of lighting that fire, getting them excited about getting to high school and kind of, you know, in sixth, seventh grade, make sure that you know their name. That's you just knowing their name. It's like, hey, the varsity coach knows my name. And they're like, I'm going to play for that guy. <laughs> I never think yeah. of it as playing for your coach. And I don't want kids to think they're playing for me because they're playing for themselves and their community and their teammates, but they might be thinking, yeah, that's somebody I want to, I want as my coach. Yeah. It's, it's something that I reflect on sometimes and it, and it really makes me think about, you know, how many potential players that maybe I've lost along the way, if I haven't 
you know, really, really gotten to know them or gotten to, you know, do as much camp work or youth work as I wanted. It's, it's, it's really, um, a shame in a lot of ways, just how many, I guess, potential areas along the way of a young player's journey from, you know, kindergarten all the way to eighth grade, where you can lose your player, you can like lose them to something else, or, you know, like you said, have like a bad experience or, you know, just not feel like it's, it's worth the effort or the time for them to be continue to play at, at a high school level. And I think that if we, if we were to actually see the, those numbers of how many potential players we actually end up losing along the way, I almost feel like no coach would, uh, neglect their their youth program anymore oh you bet huge and then the numbers it's just not even close as far as the number of kids who are playing a sport and in winter there's not that many other sports you can play so that's four months of your life right there that's the end of your first semester and the beginning of your second semester where those kids are getting better grades so you're going through your finals and we know the kids who are engaged playing another sport get better grades and if you're getting better grades you're gonna have more opportunities after after high school. So the more kids we can engage, the better and, and fighting for ways to say yes to kids and to, to get everybody involved and to work with the, those club coaches and make sure that kids can play their passionate sport. But my goodness, I mean, it's like, it's I'm now I'm in Wisconsin. It's winter in Wisconsin. What are you going to do if you're not playing basketball? You got to, I mean, you can play hockey if you can skate. I grew up here and I can't even skate. So like, <laughs> I would have been uh, up a creek and I probably would have gotten smoked as a wrestler. So yeah, it's basketball. Yeah, see, see, you got, I, I got a, I got a fight like uh, heck here in Arizona and Phoenix trying to get people in winter. I'm like, no, I need you indoors in winter in Phoenix. Dude, so I got that, be, that is tough because Colorado is a similar struggle. There's just so much to do. Colorado has amazing athletes. The top, top athletes are, are unbelievable, but the overall depth of programs needs to improve. And that, this is, a, I think, a really big topic for growing Colorado programs because I just didn't feel like there was a lot of great level three teams and not as much talent at JV there as there is here in the Midwest where just more kids are playing and they have a similar battle that you've got there in Arizona. Well, it's a, you know, it's a big issue. At least I think it's a national issue as well as the declining participation just in girls basketball in general for girls, whether they're foregoing like other sports or the, the, the interest wasn't built at a youth level in basketball. I think the numbers it's been a while since I've really looked into it, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's been studies come out uh, recently, even before the pandemic of girls basketball specifically really declining enrollment. I know that we've had um, a lot of situations here in our area where, you know, teams don't have like their freshman team or, or had like really thin JV teams. And I think that um, hopefully that's kind of serves as like a wake up call, at least in our area. Like, Hey, we really got invested at the youth level. Otherwise, like, we're going to lose them and and we're not going to, uh, you know, have players who are even interested or excited about basketball because, you know, something happened along the way to, to make them not view it as something they want to do. Yeah, that's a big issue. You bet. Cause there's, there is, there hasn't been declining population until more recently, but there has been, like you said, declining participation, which is, I mean, it's bad for society as a whole because the kids who are in sports are the ones who aren't out committing crimes and doing crazy stuff on the streets. Like, we need kids to be engaged and to participate. And so during the pandemic, for the coaches who were fighting for ways to say yes to kids, those were the coaches who were right. And, uh, and we're trying to catch up now to all the times that we had said no to kids and <laughs> to get them in the gyms and find ways to, to keep them engaged. Yeah, now now it's like we can't we can't say yes enough or hate like yes. <laughs> Come, we need them all back. We need we need we need to we need to get things moving again. But no, I agree. Those who did say like yes and created opportunities, I think those are those are paying off immensely and and went about things the right way. So hundred hundred percent agree with you there. Um, let's talk about the grind of a season a little bit. The season's long, especially because it's a year round. Uh, you know, job that we do with off season, summer, all the things going on. How do you keep up the same level of like pace and energy? How do you kind of keep things going throughout a long season where you know you don't you don't like hit hit the wall or do you hit the wall and have to work through it? What well, how do you kind of maintain that that certain level of high energy and pace that is needed to kind of carry you through a whole season? Well, I, so. I think I made a mistake this year. I, we had, because of the scheduling and, you know, so many games getting canceled, uh, the pandemic still bleeding into this past season, 
there ended up being four games in a week. We played Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We were off Thursday, and then we played Friday. And this is late in the season. And a couple of the games were really, really tough games, big ones. And so after Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday games, and those were all wins. I'm sorry, no, uh, one was a loss, but but tough games, good games. Thursday, I did like a walkthrough and a yoga day. And I just, in, in, in my mind, it made sense because we had a rival on Friday who runs and who, I'm not saying we took them easy because we had beaten them by 17 points the first time we played them. But I think everybody knew that they were capable of knocking us off. I think the players knew that. I knew that they were capable of knocking us off. Mm-hmm. But they got us in overtime on that Friday night, and it was the fourth game of the week. And I did, like, the easy route, the yoga, the stretching to try to rehab. And that was probably stupid. I should have, like, run through their stuff live so that we were more ready. But I know, you know, as a coach in your mind, you're like, oh, the legs. I'm trying to save the legs, make sure we're fresh for Friday night. And so I totally blew that. But to answer your question, I think <laughs> you have to bring something different every day and that it can be a lot of work so that is it be easy to get on cruise control and do the same routine and that gets old for kids so they have shorter attention spans you could say these days than in the past and so in and out of the season but especially in the season to your question for that grind just put a few minutes of research into every practice to make things continually new to tweak something make a new theme a new recognition uh, something to keep the kids on their toes as far as the, they just don't know who's going to get recognized or how, what what shout out on social media you're going to do. Something different throughout the course of the season to uh, to keep it fresh. That could be tweaking a drill, just a new emphasis on a scrimmage. Working your scenarios is kind of fun in practice when, when there's a little bit of a grind. But, but yeah, just continue to try to change it up, keep it fresh. It's... Sometimes I, I, I find that, you know, the the activities and the things that you do to like mentally get them away from basketball even a little bit, like you said, like a different activity or a different sort of drill or what even whatever the case it is that you can do. I I, I think I, I've made this mistake where I've uh almost burn them out a little bit with basketball. I, I've, I've gotten to that point a, a couple times and I'm good at catching myself now, but I have gotten to that point before where like my desire or what it is that I wanted out of like basketball or what it is I wanted out of them was, was probably more than they were capable of handling or more than they needed for me at that moment. And I really had to, I had to like step back and really make some adjustments. Otherwise I was going to become or was becoming that person that was kind of like killing their love of basketball from them. And, and, and I think that that's something I've had to learn throughout the years is, you know, that, that I, I can't be, you know, all in uh, all the time and all in their face and all like bringing basketball to them 24 seven in their lives. Because if I, if I do that, I, I know I could definitely overwhelm them. And especially because as you know, right, like these, these are teenagers, they're growing up, they have a lot of other things going on in their life. And it can be very easily, so easy sometimes to kind of make basketball like the end all be all. And then I think when you do that, that's when you really have to step aside and pull back and really kind of reset things. Otherwise you might end up in some dangerous territory. Yeah, that's a good call. You bet. And I think being connected to seniors can help you with that. You've got the, the seniors who really are your leaders, who really want to dominate. They can sometimes be your thermometer for how the team is doing, whether they're pumped up, ready to go, or if they need a little bit of space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that, and it's kind of good to empower. And it's and I, and if, I get the sense that you do this, right? You kind of like kind of empower your players to, to feel comfortable, the sense that they can talk to you about these sort of things. And that if there is a concern, if there is something that they're kind of worried about on that end, it's, it seems like you have a good enough rapport with them that, that they can talk to you about those potential concerns and have a good productive conversation about it. Definitely. And that's something maybe younger coaches, when, if, if I could talk to myself 15 <laughs> years ago, I would probably say be a little bit better of a listener have those conversations just on the side of the gym, pull, try to pull at least your varsity girls. You can't connect with everybody all the time. You want to, like we said, have a relationship with everybody, but your team have a, a two minute conversation or that can become a 10 minute conversation just on the side of the gym during warmups or a cool down or uh, before or after practice when there's other kids in the gym, but just 
the short conversation to so that they're connected, they're heard, and you're just be learning over time to be a better listener and just see if there's anything going on or or how they're doing. Hundred mm, percent. Do you ever find that you ever need to like slow things down or 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 bring things down a little bit? Because I know that I know you like to do high pace, high energy, whether it's off the court or on the court. Have there ever been instances where where you feel like you've had to kind of slow down the pace a little bit or kind of dial things back? And and if so, what what situations brought that on? Hmm, that's a good question. If you're going against a program that you know is going to bring crazy pace, then you can be prepared for that. And, and then maybe that's a good reason to slow it down a little bit because you know you're going to get as many possessions as you need. So then just make sure that you're disciplined and shot selection discipline is, is big, making sure that we're getting that inside-outside action or we're getting to the rim. Uh, we're making the extra pass. We're really emphasizing the assist because we know the other team's going to bring toward crazy pace. So we don't want it to be a complete free-for-all of, of madness and garbage. We want, it to, we want to be the more organized team through that chaos. And so if you're playing against a team that's crazy fast, then it's an opportunity for you to slow it down a little bit. Um, off the court, I can't think of an example. I think you'd want to just – the more opportunities, the better. You, you just kind of work – get a feel for – which weekends you can do the travel, you know, which are the mm -hmm. big club weekends, which are the big volleyball weekends that they've got their stuff so that you can find those times where you can impact the most kids and get the most kid uh, participation. And so in Colorado, a lot of times that's June, but not all states. Some states are doing more AAU stuff in June. In Colorado, they pretty much stop all of that so that you can have June with your high school programs and some there's stuff like that. But, but on the court, yeah, I think a little more discipline if you're playing a faster team. Yeah, I give like a, a, a random example in terms of like off the court stuff sometimes like i we had a group um a few years back who very very highly successful like academic group a lot of them ap students very involved in multiple ap classes heavy academic workload and kind of knew like as, as finals were starting to get really close that you know to maybe ease off a little bit and really give them that space and create those study halls for them and create that time to get that work done. And just kind of, like you said, just kind of being aware of those other things that are going on because sometimes I think we can get really lost, not lost necessarily, but very focused in on the basketball portion of things. And and we just have to make sure that we're reminding that ourselves and, and keeping kind of an organized tab on that there are other things in our players life that that go go beyond basketball and are different than basketball that we got to make sure that we give them some time for those things as well because I know that that group that was taken two three AP classes at a time they definitely needed that space a little bit to uh maybe slow down a little bit and just 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 be the student part of the student athlete yeah heck yeah that's that's such a good call it reminds me of I think a, a important point I wanted to make well, on the academic side that you brought up, it's a good idea to get a weekly report all through the year because mm -hmm. some schools I've been at, they'll only send you a report if you're on the naughty list. Like if you got your D's and your F's, then I'll get that report. But I don't want that report. I mean, of course I need it, but I want the report of everybody so that way I can be proactive in recognizing the straight A kids and telling them great job like all the time, every week. Oh, you're on the straight A report. That's awesome. And you can do that publicly because – you can't do the D's and the F's report publicly, but you can give them love academically and, and let them know that I'm getting this report weekly. It matters. Here's our recognition of our of our um, straight A kids. And you're doing it every week in practice, in and out of the season. Out of the season, you're doing it on social media because otherwise you can only do it in the banquet. Like if you get an all academic, all state report, you can do it once a year at the banquet, but do it constantly for for the those straight A kids. And then to that point, as far as pointing out the good, this needs to be huge for every young coach, especially because if you're only correcting the negative in practice, you're, they're going to drown you out. They're going to get sick of playing for you. And all of your coaching is corrective. So it's all kind of like negative. So just be amazing at doing the easiest thing that there is in coaching, which is pointing out something great. Mm -hmm. Somebody just had an amazing, it doesn't matter, a drill, a game, an effort on one play, an effort for the whole day. Point that out. You can even stop practice. And be like, do that again, what you just did. And everybody watched that shot. And what, what did she do? She just held her follow through perfectly. She just, you know, amazing hustle play. She just, that's a perfect box out. That's the way we need to do it every time. Stop, stop and make it like a huge deal. 
say, like, why did you get that layup? Because you were sprinting before we even got that rebound. You were sprinting ahead. It's that one second that makes the difference. And that's such an easy part of coaching, but it's it's forgotten and it's uh, it's missed just way too often. And it's all you're doing is pointing out the good that the kids are already doing. And it's huge. It adds great energy and enthusiasm into your practices. Just point out the good. And it means a lot. It definitely means a lot to them as well to hear that recognition. Yep. As you start to uh, prepare kind of for your first full year there, there at um, Appleton, what are things that you are, are there anything that you are looking to kind of, I don't want to say revise or refine, but maybe that is the right word, but are there any things for you personally that you're looking to maybe, uh, whether it's continue doing or tweak a little bit as you kind of think about how you're going to want to uh, infuse pace and energy into your program? Yeah, definitely. So my normal process is March, April. You're really thinking about the X's and O's and the tweaks for the personnel that you've got coming the next year. But with this change, I didn't accept this job until late July. I wasn't able to go through that process in March and April with these kids in mind. I went through it with my kids at Green Mountain in mind. And so now I'm trying to catch up on just in the couple of days we had in the gym in July, which is our like last unrestricted time here in Wisconsin trying to really quickly learn who can play, who can shoot, who can run, who can handle, and now trying to build the program around around that. And so, I mean, it's going to be no secret in our league that we've got a first-team all-conference point guard, a Division One commit as our point guard. So, of course, she's going to get a ton of attention and being ready for that. And you want to create as many opportunities, of course, for her. But there's some, some other kids I'm super, super excited about. I'm excited about the whole program, actually. I love the mm -hmm. culture, and that's a credit to – Coach Joe LaChapelle, who's a legend, took this this prior group to the state championship game, and his daughter Emily is on her way to Marquette. And he's got an Oregon State commit and a UW Whitewater commit, and another kid who could play co college, and um, and so just a great group. But th those girls are gone, and there's this outstanding point guard left now, and and she's excited for the challenge, and she's a total leader, and she's excited to like help these. Fre there's a good freshman class coming in, and and some good sophomores and some good juniors and she's like taking them under their her her wing because it's her leadership opportunity now and she wants to make the most of her senior season she's the one who is requesting to shoot at 5 a.m this morning there you go love it and it's awesome so it's yeah i'm going through that process now to put these kids in the best position to succeed love it now that's awesome uh before we hit our concluding segment, I, I know that you did uh, a, a lot in, in preparation uh, for this with some of the questions. I wanted to make sure I gave you the platform if there was anything that you didn't quite get to or, or didn't quite share. So is there anything that, that we missed? If so, uh, I definitely want to give you the time for it, but I wanted to make sure that if there was anything that we missed that, that you had a chance to, to bring it up before we hit this last segment here. You know how it goes. I'll think of them all as soon as we're <laughs> all of it. But, Which, uh, hey, that just means I'll have to have you on again. If that yeah, happens, I'll, right? I'll, I'll, I'll rant something about Twitter or whatever. There you but, go. And, awesome. and I've got, you know, I know I love that you do that 60 second soapbox at the end. So, I, of course, I've got a few points in there where I want to, you know, complain about a few things. It's just kind of my my nature is to speak <laughs> up a little bit. But uh, yeah, otherwise, otherwise, awesome. you know, I mean, I, I love the direction of our conversation. You could talk for hours as far as growing programs and, and uh, you know, I love the getting feedback from some of those other coaches and I wish I could share some some more of that stuff but but no I mean I like the direction of our conversation sweet sweet coach what is a moment from your coaching career that you think others listening would be able to learn from I know sometimes it's hard to choose just one. <laughs> oh yeah uh maybe one probably for younger coaches but I was assisting at Lakewood like seven and eight years ago and I was running a level three practice and someone came into the gym and asked just how to get to the other gym. They were like barring some space, some gym space. I didn't know who it was. I'd showed him where it was and moved on, but later found out he was a big reason I got my next job, which was the head coaching job at Green Mountain. He had told the athletic director that, that he saw me run a practice and that this guy knows what he's doing. And that ended up being Rudy Martin, who, who was the guy who kind of came back and saved the Green Mountain program when it was dying. And so you never know who's watching you. So just bring your best every day, bring amazing. You never know like who the kid's parents are or whatever. Treat everybody like a guest, give everybody your best. Um, there's a lot of kids who, have, who come from pretty good backgrounds, but you never know which kid is struggling. So give that kid your best, get them in the gym, do everything, do as much as you can 
for, for cheap or free. Nobody coaches for the money. So get in the gym and, and uh, give those kids who can't afford the club treatment, be their, be their, basically their club coach. You know what I mean? And good things tend to happen if you're giving everybody your best every day. Yeah. It's, it's almost like if, if they can't afford those experiences, then you, you have to create them for them. Right. So that they're not missing out on those. Yeah. All right, coach, you've been ready for this. I know you've been ready for, for this soapbox here and, you know, I'm not going to time you. So I know you got some things that you're ready to, uh, to, to get off your chest here. So I don't, I don't think this needs further introduction or further ado. So I'm just gonna, just gonna let you have it. And I'm just gonna let, have you let loose coach what's on your mind. Oh, it's going to be hours, man. Hours. <laughs> you ready? No, just kidding. No. So we talked a little bit about basketball embracing multi-sports, but Talk to your athletic director, talk to the other coaches in your school, because the other sports need to embrace multi-sport athletes as well. So how many six-footers are in your school, Mike, or across America, six-foot girls who don't play basketball because their club volleyball coach told them in seventh or eighth grade that they need to specialize and they need to play club all through the, all through the winter? I was at a great volleyball recruiting event of some former basketball players of mine this summer in the summer in yeah. June. And so not everything is done through the winter. You don't necessarily have to, you can play both sports. And so encourage kids to play both, to participate in the volleyball side of things. They need to be a little better than that. Cause I don't, I haven't heard a lot of basketball coaches say, Hey, you got to play club all fall. Don't play in your high school volleyball season. I've never heard anybody say that before, but you know, it happens a lot the other way. So let's get those kids playing hoops because it's, it's the winter and um, you know, kids deserve the chance to play. And then I think, we learned during the pandemic that if you want change to speak up and so the coaches who fought for ways to say yes to kids were absolutely correct so keep that up but speak up about other things we're not in a pandemic anymore knock on wood for the most part um we're moving on as far as restrictions go so speak up about a shot clock if you want that it's 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 better for everybody and if the argument is that the small schools can't afford it then make it optional for those small schools but have your in Wisconsin, we have Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. Have it required for them, and if D four, D five can't afford it, then make it optional for that school, and they can decide. But speak up about lifting those restrictions, like we talked about in some of these states, like Wisconsin, where we can't coach our kids during certain times of the year. I mean, we're coaches. We're the ones. We're one of the most positive influences in some kids' lives. So get in the gym and shoot, and let's work on your form a little bit if you want. And yes, you can do that and still support multi-sport athletes. Those are not mutually exclusive at all get kids in the gym speak up about televising games colorado needs to televise its final four and a lot of these other states that don't really like promote it it's a huge deal i remember mike growing up in wisconsin we didn't even like go to school on thursday and friday or we went but we watched the final <laughs> four all day like i wasn't paying attention to english class because the final four was on tv and like i had a dream to coach one day in a final four i'm like oh man it's so cool at the, at the time it was the, both in the Cole center and you know yeah. now at the rest center for the girl for the girl side and, and that's a huge flipping deal it's a big deal and then i we go to colorado and i finally make my first final four i'm like holy crap i actually get to coach in a final four and then i'm like it's not on television what it's just so <laughs> super crazy and then of course that's when the world ended and we didn't even have fans and and then the next final four was at a home gym with 50 people in the gym and, and i'm like oh but the next one's gonna be big and then we run into the private school that's able to like you know recruit a club cohort of superstar d1 d1 superstars so they do super team. 30, but yeah but anyway and just, just you know speak up speak up in your states be active um speak up about recruiting officials so everybody has a ref shortage it's impacting games so recruit your final your last five or six years of of seniors who played basketball recruit them to ref because I, I paid for my last couple of years of college by refing, and I learned so much about the game and it's awesome. It's flexible. So those kids who know the game, they need to be refs. So as coaches go recruit those kids, get them the link to your association and just keep speaking up for kids and keep fighting for opportunities for kids and getting more kids involved. And hopefully that helps everybody grow programs and impact more kids and get more of those athletes playing ball. Love it. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm very excited that uh, some of the things as excited isn't the right word. Fortunate that some of the things that you brought up, I'm 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 happy that I uh, don't experience here. But I don't think any coach should experience them anywhere. So I I definitely co-sign, especially shot clock, the televised games. Let 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 coaches coach you around. Like let's again find ways to to say yes to kids. Right? I love that mantra a lot. I'm gonna I'm gonna start stealing that. 
Yeah, and the motivation on all of that is not at all to be negative towards anybody. I, I love everybody in Colorado. Amazing experience there. I love uh, – Chasa does a great job putting on those events. It's awesome. But when we speak up, we're trying to make things better for the kids, and so it's important mm-hmm. to, to be a little bit vocal. And it's hopefully done in a, in a positive way. Oh, yeah, framed in a way that this is this is what's best for kids, and, and absolutely. Uh, no, I love that a lot. Uh, Coach Pitts, I want to thank you for spending some time kind of talking about your experiences and then also talking about – what you're hoping to accomplish here in, in Appleton here in the future about using pace, using energy. I'm, I'm excited to kind of follow your journey and see uh, where things take you. And and it seems like you got a, a good foundation and got a lot of things going on and a lot of things you're going to be pulling from, from your prior experience. So uh, best of luck and and hopefully things go great. And and with any luck, hopefully uh, you're, you're on TV before you know it, coaching in one of those uh, one of those games and having your girls getting that experience. Thanks, coach, so much for joining us. Heck yeah! Thanks a lot, Mike. Talk to you soon. Thank you guys for listening so much. This was another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast, and we will see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.